0: We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. Hello, everyone.
1: My name is Mike Cosentino. You've made the incredibly wise decision to tune in to this, the Run ATL Podcast. Once again, we are joined by my friend and yours, D2 Dolomite Dave Martinez is here with me, and D2, this is a special occasion. It is late in the evening. You have just poured a couple of imperial stouts for us for good reason as we celebrate.
0: Do tell everyone why we are celebrating we're celebrating because we have completed one year we you know not to sound like oh well we just completed i mean we you know when we started this it was a bit of an experiment we didn't know how long we were going to continue to do a podcast we didn't know if anyone was going to listen and if no one was listening why continue to do it we certainly weren't going to hear ourselves that is so true um but we've had you know uh people listen we've had people comment we've had people you know provide us suggestions and uh and the audience keeps growing, and we've gotten feedback from individuals saying they enjoy it, and uh, so we've continued to do it, and we've reached one year, so congratulations.
1: Congratulations to you, my friend. Cheers, and thank you, especially to all of our listeners. As D2 indicated, the listenership is growing, the reaction and response, the feedback that we've been given on our guests has been terrific. We're going to continue to bring you important featured conversations. We will take all of your comments to heart. Certainly what you have suggested has meant so much and has helped us, Dave, get better as we've gone along. There were certain targets that we set at the onset, we have smashed those targets. So I believe this is our verbal. This is our indication to each other that we will continue to plow ahead. Another season for the Run ATL podcast lies ahead.
0: Yes, that's correct. And I mean, and, you know, I was, of course, apprehensive to even be, uh, you know, a part of a podcast because, and I've said this to someone else before, I said, I believe I have the face for radio and a voice for <laughs> blogging. And uh, so I'm very critical about the way I sound and uh, and, and how I see myself. And uh, so I've had some stuff to over- overcome. I've had to become comfortable talking into a microphone and then hearing myself speak afterwards. So that's perfect because what I wanted to ask you before we do get to our featured conversation
1: for this episode is as you look back on the last 12 months in this first year of the Run ATL podcast, give me something that has been really transformational for you or that we've done or has been associated with this little broadcast that will mean something long after we're done doing it?
0: So for me, I think it's it's been the, you know, there isn't a specific individual or specific, uh, you know, guest that we've had that has been really impactful. There's been many and for a variety of reasons. Um, and that's because many of them are doing this out of the love for the sport, for the activity and being truly helpful and inspiring and i've looked back on the past year and i look back even further when i was running and people would say oh you're so inspiring it's like you just ran a 5k or a half marathon and you did in such such time and you you know you got a pr and and they looked to me and saying i was inspiring and i was like i didn't feel like i was inspiring anyone because Mm -hmm. i felt you know that it was not truly deserved and then you, I look at you know these individuals that we've had on our our podcast, these guests that are doing so much, that have accomplished a lot and are helping others. I mean, you look at the the Pease brothers and what they're doing. That's that's inspiring. Um, when you look at you know you know our next guest, you know who's coming on you know for the second time, Dr. Kate Mehevic Edwards. You mispronounced it as well. Now now you
1: are making the same Mehevic ah, We have Mahevic, learned Mahevic is Mehevic
0: um and uh, you know and what she's gone through and what you know she's kind of overcome, um that's inspiring, you know. And so I think for me what I take back is a lot of what these individuals are doing is they're giving back and they're giving back to the community, to the running community, um, to the to the sport. And it's not about it's not about a specific time goal. It's not about a, a completing a distance. It's about what you're giving back to the community and how you support each other in this community. Um, and that's kind of what I've taken, taken back. And that's kind of determined being more uh, intentional in what I'm doing uh, because I don't see myself doing races anymore you know, and trying to get a PR. I do it for the enjoyment. I, I split my time now doing more by volunteering at, at races, helping others achieve their goals um, and less me focusing on myself, and me more focusing on others.
1: Well, and if someone goes back and listens to episode one, they will hear, and as we've referenced this a number of times throughout this first year, about our four pillars for this particular broadcast. And when we talk about well, what does the Run ATL podcast need to do to mean something, to be meaningful? And we said it would need to empower others, to encourage others, to inform others and to inspire others. And we said at the onset that that would likely happen for you and for me as we had featured conversations, as you and I did our own research, as we had a chance to interact with the listeners and even to a greater degree with this amazing community of not just athletes but individuals and citizens. And now as we go into the second year, I will say not only was that true, but my goodness have I had my eyes opened wide. Because it was true, but I had no idea the degree that it would be true that I would be informed and inspired like perhaps never before. That I would feel encouraged and empowered, not just by our guests, by what some of the things our listeners have said to us and, and just stories that they've been willing to share. So now I know that that's not just something that's easy to say. It's true, and it's super, super cool. So again, thank you to all of you who have made this first year so enjoyable. We thank you for your support, for your shares, for your posts, and for your likes. We're going to keep doing this, and it's because of you that we will. We will have some fun along the way, of course, and tonight that will be the theme as we have an important conversation with a returning guest, D2. This is the first time we're bringing someone back, but it's a different storyline. It's not a follow-up to the first conversation. Dr. Kate Mahivik-Edwards is joining us again. She is the founder and CEO of Precision Performance, and it's here in Atlanta. Physical therapy, her and her team do great work, but we're not going to talk PT tonight with her. Her story has been written recently. She is now a published author. Racing Heart is on bookshelves. We will make it super simple for you to make a purchase for your own copy by putting the link to do so in our show notes. She is also the host of a show on the Lighter Side Network called The Whole You, and she has a story that will both inspire you and just prompt me D2, and you to get the most out of every single day. Her story, as it is unfolding right now and will be told after this break, is about living with arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy. What is that, you ask? You will find out. Do not go anywhere. We'll be back in just a moment. Do
0: your feet hurt? Feel any discomfort in your joints or lower back when you run? Your shoes might be the root of the problem. Whatever your fitness level, your feet should be comfortable and your shoes shouldn't be the cause of an injury or keep you from achieving your fitness goals. Come into any of our 7 Big Peach Running Company locations for a free 3-step fit process, including a video gait analysis. Our professional fitters will help get you into shoes that fit so you can enjoy running, walking or any activity that requires you to be on your feet our 100 percent satisfaction guarantee will give you peace of mind if your new shoes don't live up to your expectations simply return them no problems no hassles no time limit we want to make sure you're completely happy with your shoes so you can achieve your fitness goals visit big peach running company today
1: And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. As we indicated in our intro, this is a real treat for Dave and for me because this is the first time we've ever had a returning guest to the Run ATL podcast. D2, you know this. Episode 17, we had Dr. Kate Mehevick-Edwards. On, I learned a number of things, including how to pronounce that name, getting a second chance to do it, and I believe now do it correctly.
2: Uh, of course. No, of course.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, my goodness, okay. we'll have to keep having her back until I nail it. Go ahead for our audience and for me one more time. Mahivik Mahivik and I'm sure she told us that in episode 17. But, Kate, that's almost the perfect, unintendedly that is almost the perfect setup because we're going to ask you some questions mm-hmm. this time, and you're going to share a story with us that is much more personal we talked about your level of knowledge and expertise and what you do for so many in the community that we share with your role and obviously your history with precision Mm -hmm. that's not going to be the case here
0: right
1: last time i saw you it was at a book signing and was obviously part of what i believe should be a celebration of the release of your book a racing heart i've had the good fortune of course of having read this i'm going to encourage everybody In our audience to do the same and certainly it struck me as I read this book and got to know you better by doing so this is really personal for you so I may ask you how to pronounce your name and you would say this is how it is and you have that beautiful smile on your face and it's just it's a question that obviously is specific to you but this book from cover to cover is more of the same and if nothing else I want you to know how much I appreciate this really deep self diagnosis that I know, you know, and have already seen is helping others.
2: Thank you. So
1: with that, let's, let's get right to it. Sure. Okay. So for those of you who did not hear the title, this is going to give us an opportunity, but we're not going to give all the good stuff away. (laughs) You have to go get your own copy of a racing heart and to do so, you don't have to be a runner. I'll say that at the onset. Yes, this is the run ATL podcast, but Kate says, In her introduction that my story is deeply entwined with running but she's right when she also says but you don't have to be a runner to appreciate my or her journey running isn't just a sport it's a lifestyle and a community so as a place to start Mm -hmm. let's give people a bit of an understanding of how you felt about running because before we talk about this journey and where it took you, yeah. I think we have to build that foundation so people really, really understand that at one point, this was really important to you.
2: It still is, actually. So it's it, hopefully I don't get teary. Cause I, I'm not sure how I feel when I talk about this You're sometimes. You're in good <laughs> um, So for me, running was a way to escape things when I grew up. Um, it was a way to find myself. It was a way for me to release stress. And it was how I met some of my closest friends and my husband, really. So everything from when I started running until I stopped um, was amazing, (laughs) and it still is. My entire career is built on running. Mm -hmm. Everything I do every day, um, I treat all runners and triathletes. I lecture about running across the country. Um, I read, or excuse me, I read articles and books about it probably every day and I write about it every day. So everything I do has some bit of running in it. My son, when he was born, Um, We wrapped him up in a little blanket that said, you know, 26.2 miles, 13.1 miles, and had all these running shoes on it. And, you know, when he was a newborn, I dressed him up in running shoes and put my Boston Marathon medal on him. (laughs) So (laughs) that's how we've always lived. So every single morning, we would go out and go for a run together, my husband and I, or I would meet my girlfriends um, for a run. And I just think I grew up with running and it meant a lot to me and still does.
1: Well, and you talk about that in the book, especially as it related to those relationships that are still very important to you. Mm-hmm. And for those that are hearing, well, yes, okay, Ronnie was a big part of Kate's life, understand that she's not just gonna scratch the surface. You talk about, as you grew up, obviously, Mm -hmm. your parents divorced. Yep. You were very candid about your mother's battle with alcoholism and Mm -hmm. how that impacted you. Yep. I think you were very transparent in your willingness to share that you perhaps had a fear of failure that drove you to some depths and lengths, Mm -hmm. whether it was in your work or whether it was in your running. Yes. And then as we kind of unfold this story, you'll see that perhaps it's a mixture of both a blessing and a burden to be that driven. Yes. But it has proven seemingly to be both. But for those people who right now are saying, gosh, I really do love running. I can relate to that Kate. Yeah. What about the Kate that we also get exposed to who wasn't? as confident as maybe what you are now that did have real problems Mm -hmm. in her house growing up and that she had to take in to her own adulthood.
2: Yeah, (laughs) like I said, running for me was a way to get out of that. And so I think that anyone who grows up with a parent that struggles with alcoholism, or if they're around that, they can either go one of two ways. They can go down the same path or they can choose not to go down that path. And running for me was one of those ways that I made that choice, um, not to go down that path. So I did everything and anything I could to make sure that I was the exact opposite of what my mother did. And I love my mother very much. And I, this hasn't been great, me writing this book for a relationship.
1: Well, and you wondered, I mean, you were very transparent about that in the first or second chapter that you did not know how it would be received and now here we are getting some indication (laughs) of such.
2: Yeah, and it wasn't great. I mean, I can understand that, but the truth is if you don't know that part and you don't know why I ran so hard, you don't know why I pushed so hard, why everything that I've had to do up until now, I tried to be perfect at. And I think perfectionism is a big problem and type A is what we all like to coin it as and everybody is proud to be a type A person. What does that really mean? I think that means that you really don't know who you are or you're afraid to look into who you are in many, many ways. Um, You're right, I was completely afraid of failing. If I thought that if I wasn't the best at everything I did, then I was nothing and there was no gray and it's really hard to come back from
0: that.
1: Well, and you've matured quite a bit. Obviously, you've been yeah. forced to really look at things in a way that most of us are not. But I think it's, it's really cool. And, and I mentioned this last time in full transparency as I was doing some of my research prior to our first podcast is when mm-hmm. I just started to kind of bump up against this other part of your story. Yeah. And I've known of you and I have known you for a long time. I mean Big Peach running company now has been around for over 10 years. You've been in your practice for quite some time, really. Mm-hmm. Now we have so many shared friends and acquaintances. We have so many people that you would say are clients who we wonderfully claim as guests of ours or our stores, and yet I had no idea yeah. And then to get through the first even 30 or so pages, it was very apparent that you were going to put it all out there.
0: Yes, I know. It's very, I know. And I hope <laughs> people understand that. And again,
1: for our listeners, if you just want something that is going to make you feel good with every page that you turn, this is probably not the book. You got to get way into the back half before yes. that starts to happen. But if you want something that is going to give you something to think about and something to take into, at least for me, Mm -hmm. my daily life after I had read the book or while I was reading, it was a quick read. So it's not like it took me weeks to do and every day I was thinking about a different thing. It took me a relatively short time Mm -hmm. to go through the entire manuscript. And yet it's had an impact on me because I feel like I continue to feel like you have about running. To some degree, Mm -hmm. it defines me. It defines who I am. That can be a little bit dangerous. Before we talk about what it is that ultimately was discovered and that you continue to have to be mindful of, and obviously is a big part of your story now, what would you say to me and maybe to others who are listening that running, if not in its entirety, but to some degree maybe defines who someone is?
2: So I think if you're a runner and it does truly define you, it's probably a good idea to step back and ask why. What is it about running that drives you? Why do you go out there and do that? Do you do it to escape? And there are really issues that you need to address underneath. Do you do it to keep yourself healthy? Do you do it out of fear or do you do it out of real love? And now if I were to go for, if I could run a mile right now, I'd be the happiest person in the world. And I would do it with so much love every step of the way. So I think that I didn't value that before how much you could love something Mm -hmm. until I lost it. Which sounds so crazy and I can't believe
0: I'm talking about running. (laughs) Sounds (laughs) like I'm talking about my like family member. Sure. But yeah.
1: But I think that's great advice, not just for those of us who, and of course, again, being on this podcast, you'd expect to hear us say nothing, but all the time you should go out and throw mileage at things. You should yeah. run one more day per week. You should think about one more mile. You should get up a few minutes earlier so you can go just a yeah. little bit further. But this is an important story to tell and, and and to be sure that everybody understands exactly how committed you were. In chapter one, in fact, page 17, you say, I was completely and utterly addicted and blissfully in love with running. Mm -hmm. That was not just a definition of you, but it kind of comes to your why and why you did it so frequently. So the ramp up Mm -hmm. to running, you did what so many of us have done who have been doing it for quite some time. We started with what might be considered smaller distances we graduated up to doing a half marathon or a full marathon and then one wasn't enough and even one in a relatively short (laughs) period of time wasn't enough and there they were all these medals all these accomplishments all these times that were better or perhaps even more of a success than what they had been before you were going in the right direction at least in terms of how often how you felt how it was getting easier, and Mm -hmm. at least before some of the things that we'll talk about started to happen, how the times were coming down and getting better. Mm -hmm. Once you started to say, okay, there's going to be life change that everybody can understand, you may say, well, it's a move. By the time you moved to Atlanta, my belief your ramp up was you were a triathlete. Mm -hmm. You were a marathoner. Mm -hmm. One of your few possessions, the way I understood it, was a mountain bike. So (laughs) (laughs) you were obviously a cyclist.
2: Yeah.
1: That's how you arrived here in Atlanta.
2: That's right. I sold all my furniture, everything in Boston before I came. I sold everything except for um, bags of running gear, workout equipment, my bike helmet, my bike, and that, I mean, so basically I came with no bed. I came with no dresser. <laughs> I, I just showed up and when one of my friends was here um, in graduate school and he's like, you don't have a bed?
1: I was like, no, but I've got my great bike. People wouldn't be able to see this, but this is where Dave and I would be able to both kind of put a hand up and, and get a high five from Dr. Kate because we can appreciate that attitude and showing up with a mountain bike and a fresh pair of running shoes is better than a mattress or any other furniture that you could possibly imagine. So you get to Atlanta and now all of a sudden you're starting to feel some things when you go out for a run that that Mm -hmm. just aren't normal. Mm -hmm. And we said in the intro, you know, this condition that we'll unpack even deeper here in a few moments, but to give some people a sense of how disconcerting it could be, where I found it to be just, wow, I could picture myself. These are races I've done, but experiences I've not had. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about either the Philadelphia and or the Chicago marathon and what it was like to be on those courses and what you experienced that hopefully none of our listeners ever will.
2: Yeah. I think that I wrote specifically about those events in the detail that I wrote them about, because I hope that if anybody has an experience like that, they know to immediately get help because I went through several experiences where I talked myself out of being in trouble. I knew that something was wrong if I really stop and think about it now. I knew deep down that there was something wrong with me, but I was afraid to look at it and I um, I wouldn't accept it. It was not acceptable for anything to be wrong with me in my mind, right? That perfectionist component. But um, so the first well, really- can I just yeah. poke fun at you for a second? Please.
1: <laughs> so I'm reading the book and the word you kept using, rightfully so, that you wrote was yeah. probably part of your journal, was certainly part of the finished product, yeah. was stubborn. Oh, so stubborn. So stubborn. (laughs) And how many times have we watched a movie when we're like, are you kidding me? Yes. (laughs) They're going to do that? Or they're going to do that again? I know. And I'm like, I'm thinking, come on, Kate, again? (laughs) We're going to continue to deny this again, and yet that's
0: where you were.
2: But, you know, I have to tell you, I... Even treating patients, I see it over and over again. It's the personality. It's the persona of who chooses to run and who chooses to do triathlon and who chooses to do 100 mile races. You know, when they told me I might not be able to do any exercise to get, um, that would get my heart rate up, I said, great, I'll run 100 milers. That was my response. Totally insane if you actually think about it, but I was like, I've been waiting to do that anyway. Might as well use this as there's excuse. the platform.
1: <laughs> <laughs> kind of slow the pace down, keep the heart rate a little bit lower, but go all day.
2: That's what I thought, and that was my plan until obviously they told me otherwise. But um, the race that I think I would talk about most is Philadelphia because that was the scariest okay. for me. Um, I felt totally fine and I'd planned on qualifying for Boston. I knew I could, I was in shape for it. I was in far better shape than I was in other races where I did qualify Um, and I felt fine. I felt completely fine all the way until almost the very end, probably around, I don't remember exactly, but in the late miles, like 24, I started to feel kind of bad. And then 25, I thought, I've got this, I've only got a little bit of time left. I can almost see the finish line. And then at, um, I don't know exactly what point it was, but I saw the finish line and I collapsed. I lost all of a sudden and it was very fast. I lost control of my bladder. I felt like crap and I, I was down. I don't remember going down, but I do, remember people holding me under my armpits and, um, helping me stand up and telling me if I didn't cross the finish line by myself, I wouldn't, it wouldn't count. And I thought, Oh, it wouldn't count. And there's photographs of me crossing the finish line with my arms up as if nothing ever happened. So if you saw the photographs, you wouldn't think anything happened, but it wasn't too far. It was close enough where I could see the finish line where people were dragging me. Um, And I didn't remember that until later, so I woke up in the medical tent. And I kind of can remember a wheelchair, but not really. But I woke up in the medical tent, and everyone around me was very scared. And I was very confused, and I didn't know what was going on. And I had an EKG or an ECG, whatever you want to call it, on my chest. And I was trying to pull it off (laughs) and trying to sit up, and they they made me stay. And I stayed there for a very long time, and they never told me what was going on or what they thought it was. But they did tell me to follow up with a cardiologist at home. So I left there. I went back to um, my friend's apartment. And I kept saying, I think, I I don't know if I finished or not. So we kept looking it up online. And finally, I saw a picture of myself crossing and saw my time. And the first thing I was mad about was that I didn't qualify for Boston. The second thing was I was grateful that I had crossed the line because I didn't want to explain to anyone why I hadn't which is completely insane. Can I just point that out? Right. <laughs> it is,
0: but
1: and, and this is the other part of it. And, and, you know, we said earlier, and it's perhaps like watching a movie where you're thinking, really, is that the decision or is that the decision yeah. again? But I know that D2 and I are not alone. And, and I guess I would emphasize this for our entire audience that we're that person too. Oftentimes yeah. we're stubborn. Yeah. And it may or may not be just with our running or our walking or our pedestrian active lifestyle. It's something that means... So much to us that our ability to perhaps think clearly Mm -hmm. or get outside of ourselves and look at it more rationally as a friend or loved one would. Right. It's just difficult. It is really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. So there's that race. There's that experience. And there's that somewhat shallow thinking by your own admission. Oh, yeah. Sorry I didn't qualify for Boston. That was the objective. I feel a little bit like I failed, even though, my goodness, you were lucky, truly, to be alive.
2: I was very lucky to be alive, but I never saw that. And I I was so disappointed in myself and felt so guilty for not qualifying for Boston. I didn't even want to talk about it. I didn't anytime anyone asked, I just didn't want to talk about it and I didn't want to explain myself. And then I got back out there and tried harder and pushed harder.
1: Well, and so let's let's go to that point where Kate elects to get back out there and to try harder and this From chapter five which she titles the last straw Mm. she says i sat down this is after a run i sat down on the front steps of my house elbows on my knees and head between my elbows i tried to calm myself down by focusing on my breath inhale slowly exhale slowly inhale one two three and exhale one two three four in that moment i thought i feel like i'm going to die i better stay outside on my front steps so someone will find me. My heart was beating so hard and fast that I could see my chest wall moving in and out, and in and out rapidly. Looking down, I wondered, is that my heart? It can't be. And the Garmin numbers flashed in the high 200s. hmm <laughs> This seems, like, stranger than fiction.
2: Right. I know.
1: But not only did you live this, you now live to tell about this Mm -hmm. as the last straw. I know, right? (laughs) So when you get to this point, what is it? And of course, for those who read the book, they're going to be able to get to see, hear, and I believe, feel the enormity of it. But to what you could tell our audience here in this medium, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: what it's like to be at that point with something you love so much, but to truly be at the end of yourself with it.
2: Yeah, I knew that was the moment that I knew something was really wrong with me. I knew before, but that was the moment I accepted that something was really wrong with me and that I truly at that point didn't know I wasn't going to be able to do it anymore. I thought that it was a hurdle, Um, but I definitely thought I was going to die. And I thought, well, at least I'm going to die doing something I love. And that that's true. I mean, I even to this day, I think someday, you know, when I'm old, I'm gonna die running.
1: Well, and you have a couple of senses at the back of the book yeah. towards the end. I don't know that we'll give it away. No. I think people should absolutely read that and but, we can debate yeah. you know how good of an idea that is. That's It's a not terrible podcast. idea. I know. However, but you come to this yeah experience. Yeah. So then we we know, and and we mentioned it in the intro, arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm going to quickly do a definition just to reinforce what this is, but this was not easy to diagnose. Part of my struggle alongside you as I read your book was not just with the running and the frustration that would come from not being able to either do it as regularly as you were used to, mm-hmm. or be concerned at the type of experience that you were having, whether it was at Philadelphia, whether it was in Chicago, whether it was on a small training run, or whether it was on a weekend.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That would be frustrating. But here's the definition, and then we're gonna talk about the diagnosis and sure. what it was like to get there. ARVC, as we can use letters so I don't have to pronounce it again, is a very rare progressive genetic heart disease. It is a disease of the cardiac muscle And it primarily affects the right ventricle, but it can occasionally affect both. Over time, cardiac cells break and die, leaving scar tissue to form on the outside of the ventricle. These scars can cause arrhythmia, which is abnormal timing or rhythm of the heartbeat. Also, as the disease progresses and more scars form, the heart begins having a difficult time. It has a difficult time, pumping blood, and severity and progression of the disease varies, but can ultimately lead to a heart transplant or certainly to death. Yes. So there's the setup. Right. Tell us about trying to get to this. Nobody wants to know they have it, but my goodness, it's not like you went from that moment with your head in your elbows wondering, what's wrong with me? to now knowing that you had ARVC. There was a long time and many doctor visits and many procedures before we got here. That's right. What was that like and kind of walk us through certain things you thought maybe it was, certain Mm -hmm. diagnoses that preceded this and the whole frustration that comes for you and your family when you just don't really know.
2: Well, not knowing is the worst.
1: It is, okay, I mean, you always hear that, but you would say that is absolutely true.
2: Because there's so much fear around the unknown.
0: So, so
1: I just read this definition mm-hmm. can lead to heart transplant right. or to death, but you would still say the unknown is something that is even more of a fear than this, that obviously can be very deadly.
2: I'm not afraid of dying. Okay. I'm And I'm, I think I might've been at one point, but I'm not now because I was close and I think that I was lucky, mm-hmm. but what I was afraid of and what the worst part was not knowing um, because I didn't know if I was going to wake up the next day. Now I know I most likely will, <laughs> right? Absolutely. I, I didn't know how to make it better or if I could. I can't make this better. I know that now, but, and I've had to accept that. That's okay. But I didn't know if I could, because if I could, I wanted to do everything that I could do to make it better so that I could get back to my life. Um, it was very hard on my family because it's genetic. So we had to decide if my son had it or not. And that exercise is the only thing that makes it worse. Any type of cardiovascular exercise progresses the disease exponentially. So if you have a gene um, for this and you exercise, there's an 80% chance that you will get the disease. If you don't exercise, there's 20% chance. So knowing all that was sucks it just sucks right but at the same point it's better to know that so i know what to do now i have actions i can keep going forward with now i know what it looks like in a few years Um, or at least i have a general idea it's true i might go into heart failure regardless of what i do at this point i don't think that i will i've got a fairly mild case it's mostly arrhythmogenic right now so the heart muscle itself is not Um, damaged too much. It will become damaged more no matter what I do, but at least I know that. And I also know that the research is getting better and that there is research being done. The only thing that stinks about the research is there's so few people that have what I have that there's not a lot of money. And so donate. <laughs> you can donate at Johns Hopkins. Yep. So we'll certainly um, put a link
1: to that and yeah. part of the Johns Hopkins story. Cause I know that yeah. you've been very involved in that as mm-hmm. this episode has unfolded in your own life.
2: Right. And so it's, that's part of it. And I, I really look at it from that perspective. I know that there's at least movement in the right direction. And so I'm not afraid of what's going to happen. Cause I know what could happen at this point when I didn't know what could happen. That was really scary to me. Um, Because then you go through all the different scenarios in your mind. You go through all the worst things you could possibly think of. I don't know how many moms or dads are out there, but don't you always think the worst possible thing when you get the call from the school? It's that times a million. And so living in anxiety and living in this moment of, I have no idea what's going on and I have no control is really hard. I now have some control of the decisions I make. And I know what can happen.
1: But for me, it's so awesome to hear you say that because I think sometimes I can fool myself if I'm speaking honestly that I would rather not know. Mm-hmm. And yet you are releasing yourself wonderfully and me, I believe, and perhaps many of our listeners from that mistruth mm-hmm. that know you need to know. to know. And it's not just about ARVC and mm-hmm. things on that level of magnitude. Right. Let's talk about that for a second, because I know one of the other sure. frustrations that comes in the book is your really crusade <laughs> for your family and now for others right who have the possibility because it is a genetic disease,
2: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: to get tested, to find out, to put the fear of whatever might be preventing them from this reality you know how' I know and that's better, yeah. How do you start to make a difference with what you now know and what you've been through in that community? Not the running community, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: not the local community you take such good care of in your practice, Mm -hmm. but that community of people who have ARVC in their genetics somewhere, but at this point are denying themselves perhaps the real opportunity to save themselves Mm -hmm. to know for sure whether they're affected.
2: Well, it's really hard because my family hasn't been tested yet. And so I've done everything that I can from my perspective to get them to be tested. And the truth is that I feel better knowing what it is, but not everybody does, Okay. and that's okay. I mean, I think you have to make a choice. Do you wanna know or not? For me, it was better to know, and I wish I knew for my family because at any moment, any of my brothers or sisters could drop dead.
1: And they've elected at this point not to go with the testing that you've recommended. That's correct,
2: any point. And I have a very active family and any of my cousins could drop dead at this particular moment because we don't know what side it's on because neither of my parents have been tested. And again, I'm not trying to, you know, point fingers. They know this, they've read the book. (laughs) Um, they know how I feel. I've made it very clear. I'm pretty clear about this, but they've chosen not to be tested. And so I don't know why people make that choice, but it's their choice. I think that, If you have children, so for my brother, I love him, I think he does not get to make the choice. He should get tested so that he knows about his children. If he doesn't have the gene, none of his children have the gene, that's awesome. But his kids are really young and they need to know if they should put them in sports or not. So I think that anytime somebody has a disease like this or it's in your family tree, you need to find out, I mean, for your children at least,
0: And
1: this is great advice, not just for the ARVC community, right? Right. For all of us as parents. And I'm not going to suggest we spend a lot of time talking about Andy. I know that was a tough chapter to write. Obviously, you've led by example, whether it's for your brother or for other Mm -hmm. individuals who have this, but my goodness, as a parent who... Does not have this we have a doctor that we share and I can say very confidently I am NOT an ARVC individual right. because I've been tested not for that but for other things right. that would have shown up but as a parent I'm like gosh am I doing the same things that Kate did mm-hmm. as much as I might not want to know yeah you walked it out yeah so now here you are fully informed and you are just taking it head-on
0: mm-hmm.
1: one of the things that you said in the book and it took this whole experience I started to recognize the unhealthy habits I had created around perfectionism and fear yeah and that was only because of having to deal with this
0: yes.
1: having to deal with the complications that came from it the parts of your life that were stripped away because of it mm-hmm. and obviously things that are incredibly important you talk about your relationship With your husband and Mm -hmm. how it had been built on a lot of things that were not going to be available not Mm -hmm. just to you but really to both of you as a couple oh yeah and then you talk about your role as a parent and having your son tested
0: Mm -hmm.
1: where do you stand now as Kate the perfectionist (laughs) as Kate the one who's willing to admit there's been a lot of fear in my life that I've tried to overcome in a variety of ways (laughs) where are you with those things now
2: I mean, I still struggle with them. I'm aware of them and I still struggle. I have to talk myself off the ledge. I have to, um, something I talked about is anger. I struggled with anger and I think that's coming from my mom was alcohol or had alcoholism and that's how I knew how to deal with some things. Um, But now if I feel it or see it, I can recognize it and I sit with it and I don't act on it. I'm very slow to act on those things where I never was before. Um, I practice gratitude every day. I know it's kind of cheesy and it's the cool thing to do now um, but I really do. Um, I think about why um, what I get to do rather than what I can't do, which is really helps in terms of like shifting your mind about um, what's happening And um, with my son I'm very we're very specific if um, if we see things that he's doing that we're like, I would do and everything has to be right. We say things like, um, you don't have to be good at that, you just have to learn from it. I want you to make a mistake. Please make mistakes so that you can learn from it. You're not gonna learn from doing everything right or being first all the time. And we have those conversations with him because I believe that if I was first all the time, I was always going to win. And I never learned from that until it was too late, you know? so. Those are the conversations we have with Andrew and you know, he has the gene and he can't really do a lot of exercise and it's really hard right now because that child does not want to sit still. (laughs) He has perfect running form and it breaks my heart. I mean, perfect. It's wonderful. And he runs everywhere and they say that it's okay to let them be a child and do um, what they do until they're about 10 and I sponsored a race recently and it had a... (laughs) Oh, God. It had um, a children's race, and then before the race started, it was really small. They did some dynamic warm up before. Which is great, by the way. I just did a research project on that. Excellent. Um, So in episode 17, we talked just barely
1: about this. Now in this episode, we cannot park back to the other areas of expertise she has. So dynamic stretching is a good thing. Fully endorsed by Dr. Kate. (laughs) There
2: it is. But I had a table set up and I was talking to people and my husband was there and he was going to run the race and push Andy in the stroller. Well, all of a sudden my husband comes up to me and says, Hey, I can't find Andy and I'm like, Great. <laughs> <laughs> so we're Typical running dad. right. We're <laughs> He's a great
1: dad. Dads do things differently, I've heard that.
2: Oh my gosh, so much differently. And you can't judge, that's actually another thing in terms of changing your frame. Before I would have been like, what is wrong with you? Now I'm like, okay, breathe, he does it differently, he still does a great job. (laughs) Um, But we had to like run around and find him, and of course my child is in the very front doing all of the stretches right by the guy with the microphone, and he's, you know, oblivious to the fact that he was lost. And then we tried to grab him, and he went and he ran. Like I didn't catch him because I can't run after him now. My husband, he slipped through his legs, and he starts running in the race. And we're like, no.
1: So Brian can't grab him. You can't go after him. He's off. He's off.
2: We eventually got him.
1: So you've done a great job of saying, well, now I have a platform, and I'm do- going to do some other things. Some of the things that I know you're doing now, yoga, you seem to be taking yeah. that you know, almost as seriously as what you were taking, <laughs> you're running. And I'm not going to speak for D2, but I can tell you my yoga career was very brief mm-hmm. and I just have come to believe you got to, you got to inject consistency, mm-hmm. maybe in anything, but certainly in that. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how yoga has become a part of your life and become now part of, you know, you, and we talked about dynamic stitching, uh, stretching, what you would suggest perhaps for, all runners, perhaps mm-hmm. all athletes.
2: Oh, I think it's great. I mean, I did yoga when I was a runner and a triathlete, so that I could run and compete, and it really helped me from a flexibility standpoint. And I always put it in that flexibility category, but now I realize it's much more than that. It's also about strength, and it's also about mental headspace. Um, and that's I needed something. To help me with that so running was always my escape but it also was the place where I created ideas and uh, worked through problems and my mind never shut down there's constant chatter and that's a problem um, so with yoga what I found it's really great to clear my head but in the other piece I'm completely quiet there's no chatter and that's really helped me a lot so I think it's great for athletes Especially people who hate yoga and don't want to do it. They're probably the people that need to do it the most. I certainly was. Because it gives you time to clear your head and get stronger and get um, and stretch out.
1: So. Well, and, and there's a bit of a challenging but somewhat with a heartwarming end. We won't be the yeah. spoiler alert here. <laughs> there are so many words that Kate challenges me. I'm going to try to run through them very quickly. Let's sure. see. Mahivik.
2: Yes, you got
1: it. Arrhythmogenic right (laughs) ventricular cardiomyopathy. You got it. And then you currently have, and perhaps always will have, an implantable cardioverter defibrillator.
2: (laughs) You could call it an ICD.
1: I will call it an (laughs) ICD from here, but I wanted to try it at least once. But there is a story about the ICD Mm -hmm. and the shock value of one of those in a yoga class. Oh, yeah. Again, this is a reason why you should run and get this book because it will terrify you and it will also begin to get you to think that things will get better perhaps for Kate as you see how that all turns out. But as we transition from those things that now you can have such a terrific laugh about, tell us about the Lighter Side Network. Tell us about the whole you and some of the really, really cool things that you're doing that are obviously connected to Racing Heart, and more importantly, your story and what you're doing for others.
2: Sure. So I wanted a space That was different than running because I do everything else I do is about running. In fact, I'm writing a book about running during pregnancy and uh, return to running postpartum right now. So this was not
1: just a one-time deal. You are now a published author and somebody who will continue
2: writing. Yes, I love it. I'm writing an article about it for a journal, and I'm also writing a book about it. Good for you. So running is something that I still continue to work on and try to contribute to. Um, But I wanted another outlet. So, I could talk about some of the other cool things that I never knew about and didn't care to know about, to be honest with you, because all I cared about was running and triathlon. Um, but the Whole You is a show on the Lighter Side Network that talks about different things um, and different healthcare mediums or things that are on the outside of healthcare. So, acupuncture, I talk about yoga, I talk about. Um, I actually had a sports psychologist come on, which was really cool, and talk about um, the mental component of exercise. So I've had, uh, there's all different things that we're talking about. This, uh, this season, we're, we're putting pain. We're using pain as, like, the big point, and then everything is coming off of that. So every episode talks about um, how you can manage pain on your own um, from a holistic perspective, either physically or mentally. So those are the kind of things that we're talking about and it's just a little bit different and it's a little bit of a different twist that I probably never would have done had I not had something like this. I don't know how long I'll do that show okay? um, because I really like it, but it takes a lot of time and it does take a little bit of time away from my practice, but I think right now and I'll keep doing it until I don't have anything else to say. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I was going to say that you have plenty to say, and I know that is a value to so many people and you've been terrific about allowing people real access to mm-hmm. you. One of the things you don't shy away from and that we're not going to make people have to go to the show notes. She welcomes people to send her a note to Kate at org. Mm-hmm. Yep. Of course, I've seen from your Facebook page, you are incredibly interactive there. You use Twitter. Yep. People can find you Everywhere. very easily. <laughs> yes. And yet... That's what you want. I genuinely believe mm-hmm. you are not hiding from anyone. You're not hiding your story no. at all.
0: Mm-mm.
1: You are super transparent. Yeah. If you would leave our audience with something, and it's not going to be dynamic stretching. <laughs> it's not going to be that dads do things differently, but still very capably. Right. Those things are both true for the record. They are. But something that you would say you've learned from this experience that you just absolutely know has application way beyond a patient that has this ARVC?
2: I think you have to really trust yourself and believe in yourself. Don't be afraid to be who you are and stop hiding behind whatever it is, whether it's your job or you're running or somebody else or that nice pair of shoes you like to wear. Um, stop hiding um, and come out and be authentic. Be you, just come to the table. I think people really appreciate that. My book is really open and very authentic, and I did that on purpose. I think you can't truly understand a story unless you truly understand what's underneath it. And so I think there's so many of us that are afraid to be who we are. And maybe we don't realize we're afraid, because I didn't. But when you sit back and you look at who you are and what you've done in your life, unpacking it, you're much happier. I'm much happier now Um, in my life that I'm living. I miss a lot of things. There's no question about that. I mean, I really do, um, but I'm much happier. I'm making choices that are for me and for my family that are incredible. I never would have done before because I was too afraid of what other people thought about not doing it correctly, not being right. Um, now I just don't really care. I mean, I care, but you know what I mean? I care more about how I'm living and who I am and how it reflects my family and, um, our happiness.
1: Intentional living and knowing who we are. Those are great words. Go back and listen to those again. D2 and I will be right back after this short break.
0: Celebrate our nation's independence with the official shoe of the AJC Peachtree Road Race, the Mizuno Wave Rider with the new Wave Knit Upper for a more comfortable and improved fit. Whether you're running down Peachtree Road on July 4th or need some cool kicks that show off your American pride, these shoes will get you noticed. Don't delay. As in previous years, these limited edition shoes are expected to go quickly. They're available now at all seven Big Peach Running Company locations and online at bigpeachrunningco.com. And welcome back to the
1: Run ATL podcast. As we hit the home stretch, D2, that is a conversation where, as it finishes, you take a deep breath. And to use Kate's term towards the end of that conversation, you just let a sense of gratitude wash over you. For starters, I am so thankful for her and her willingness to share her story. What were some of the things that you took away from her time with us?
0: Well, I mean, when she referenced that this sucks, I mean, it does. I mean, how can you love running and then be told you can't run because it could kill you? I mean, that that as a runner, as someone who wants to participate and, and be active, I mean, that, that kind of breaks your heart, you know?
1: And not only could it potentially kill her, as she indicated, the progressive disease that she has can actually get worse with exercise. We oftentimes, rightfully so, tell people you should exercise more. You should not live a sedentary life. You will get more out of life if you are physically active. Very rarely would that find exception. And yet with her, it kind of does. Now, she has found other ways to take good care of herself and certainly is always in good spirits when she is around us. The other thing that she said as she was leaving our studio that I thought was very, very cool. And that was, she hoped that she didn't put any great fear in any listener because she does not want people to think, oh my goodness, that could be me. Not only is she right, and it is a very, very, very rare disease that she has that is genetic, but it is also one of those things that she is going to be an encourager. Her entire life, she is going to be an encourager. So someone who might feel like, wow, perhaps am I putting myself at risk? No, my guess is she would say, well, perhaps sometime you should get tested. You should make sure that you have your cardiovascular function as the way we would all want it. But other than that, show no fear. Do as Kate did and that is figure out what your fears are and address them one by one. The other thing she said that I feel like we should share D2 besides just putting in our show notes, she made a case for a donation with Johns Hopkins, unique, unique situation. The work that they're doing at Johns Hopkins University, very specific to ARVC, to Kate's condition. For someone who knows someone, has connected with Kate's story, think about this website, please visit it, consider a donation, hopkinsmedicine.org forward slash heart underscore vascular underscore institute you'll see all the work that they're doing one thing that dr kate and i had a good laugh while we were off the recording her doctor dr jonathan kim also did tests on me before i did my last 100 miler and i believe that the way he speaks to his patients and now with kate being one of them is similar to the way kate speaks to hers very transparent very direct and yet in a manner where you just absolutely believe they're in your corner. So the last encouragement and advice would be for those physicians, whether you see them regularly or just very, very, very intermittently to have that kind of relationship with them. So you will always be very honest with what is going on. So D2, we learned a lot. I know that those were inspiring words that Kate left us with. Her book is awesome. As we've already said, go out and get A Racing Heart by Dr. Kate Mahivik-Edwards. We will make sure there is a link for you to pick up a copy right away. And until we have the chance to come back and start year number two, we will give you a sound with which we started. We will say once again, thank you for being part of the Run ATL podcast. May your best miles be
0: those covered on foot.